Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello and welcome to another edition of the Colts Cast. I'm your host Chris Blystone, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Shepard and Jim Campbell. How's it going, guys? Hey, Chris. All right, so we have got the first uh, five training camp practices. I believe I think Frank Reich referred to as like the first set. They were thinking of them in terms of sets of four. Uh, So the first set of four, and then we had another practice today uh, of training camp under our belts. We've gotten some interesting news coming out of training camp and gotten a chance to see what this lineup is going to look like a little bit and uh, kind of exciting to be watching the Colts play actual football. How are you guys feeling so far through this, you know, first week of training camp? I feel pretty good. I mean, you know, I'm I'm glad that the Colts are back. I'm glad football's back. Um, I, I finally got a reason to talk about well, to change every conversation to football with all my friends. So, uh, so you know, life is good. I can't complain mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah, same here. Conversations back up with pretty much the one person I talk football <laughs> with at work. So we're annoying everybody in our That's, hallway. It's great. Good. It's good to hear. Any opportunity to annoy non-football viewers is definitely a good opportunity, or just people in general, because annoying people is uh, kind of enjoyable. So, yeah. I'm excited. I actually got to go to training camp. I was credentialed the first time I've I've been able to experience that. And I got to do that on Friday, the second practice of camp. And that was a really cool experience. Got a chance to be on the field, um, you know, bumping elbows with official, quote unquote, official Colts media and and uh, NFL network people and the whole, you know, nine yards had Eric Ebron walk right past me and realized what a giant of a man that he is. And just a really cool experience to get a chance to kind of see, you know, firsthand what's going on with the Colts. And I kind of had some pretty interesting takeaways, some some things I wanted to get into. Uh, and so we'll dive into a little bit of what that experience was like and what I saw there, as well as some of what Brett Uh, saw from his time there over the weekend. And then we will um, dig into a camp battle or two that I think are, are really going to be interesting. And I actually have a piece up about the cornerback position specifically. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. There's a piece up on stampede blue worth checking out. And uh, before we do that though, we're actually going to jump into some of the news that's come out because there is a little bit, there's obviously a, a pretty significant piece of news that came out that uh, is probably the thing that's most prevalent on everybody's mind. We're not going to talk it to death, but Andrew Luck sat today after the Colts had a rest day, um, had some complications, I guess maybe is the way they described it. Not, I mean, setback maybe was used essentially 
uh, what it boils down to. I think Andrew himself used setback, didn't he? Yeah, something to that effect. I think he said, yeah, it could be. I think maybe he was asked if it was, uh, if you would call it a setback. And he said, yeah, you could call it something like that. So, um, but, you know, he was basically saying that, you know, they were intending to continue to step him up in production. So the first day of training camp, he did not participate in anything beyond individual drills. And then the day I was there, he actually was was doing seven on sevens. And they were hoping, I think, by the this practice that he was going to be ready to step into full team activities. And, you know, even if he had to be limited, uh, that he was going to be involved in that process. And what's happened is they basically had to pull him back. And uh, he was experiencing some pain. He was, uh, you know, the, whatever's going on with the calf was not coming along in the way that they thought. So what are your guys' thoughts on this? I know there's been a ton of people weighed in. I know there's panic on some sides because with where Andrew Luck's been concerned that the health has been a question and it's just been handled to varying degrees poorly and sometimes transparently, but in ways that maybe don't make sense to us. And there's just been a lot of, there's a lot of suspicion from Colts fans that the rug is about to be pulled out from under us. What are your thoughts, Jim, on where we stand with Andrew Luck's health at this point heading into, you know, the second week of camp? I definitely don't think it's time to panic. Um, but man, the the feeling of deja vu and here we go again, is just a hard thing to fight. Um, and I want to resist it but I have a bit of anxiety. So crap like this creeps in and, and gnaws at me. Um, and so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to panic until it's time to start panicking, but I can see why people are concerned. You know, it's been roughly three months now and now we're hearing about setbacks where I, you know, Reich wouldn't use that word and, you know, luck kind of, can, you know, danced around it, maybe didn't say it directly. Um, but also it's, it's, it's a calf strain. At least that's how it's being, you know, uh, described to us. So I'm not going to freak out just yet about it. Yeah. It's one of those things you just don't want to see your starting quarterback start the season with any kind of injury. You want to see them healthy because you know that the wear and tear of the season is going to eventually result in them being beat up. Even if it's not quote unquote injured, every player by the end of the NFL season is injured in some capacity. It's just whether that injury is significant enough to warrant notice, I guess. And, and honestly, the, the worst outcome of this at this point, or at least the worst part of it at this part of it in the point in the timeline is it just makes NFL Twitter like just insufferable. Yeah. It's, it's really unbearable. It, like I, I, I read Twitter for 10, 15 minutes when I got home. It's really awful. It's like, Oh, well he's trash. Are, are you serious? And I bet you could probably go find some idiot who said that and go down their timeline and find somewhere last year was like, oh, damn, Andrew Luck. And it's just the moment they get a chance to say he's trash, they'll say he's trash. Yeah, I saw somebody post uh, Andrew Luck is soft or he's so such a soft player. And I was just like, uh, I don't think you know um, what that means or I don't think that means what you think it means because – I can't think of a person who's been tougher than Andrew Luck. I mean, you might say he he's injury prone, and I guess, I mean, I don't really necessarily agree with that, but I guess I can understand your argument there. But soft is definitely not a word I would use to describe Andrew Luck. It applies about yeah. 
yeah, it's it's just a little silly. So he he finished he finished a game with a lacerated kidney. How is that soft? <laughs> yeah, and and none won, of that makes and sense. won that game. Yeah, he he is yeah. right. He yeah. Is, Won that game single handedly. Yeah, I mean he's about one, he's one of the toughest competitors that's in the game, and I don't think anybody, even opponents or people who don't really like him, most people who understand anything about football don't think that he's a soft player. So that's a silly take. I didn't respond to it. I don't think that's probably the normal take. You're going to get trolls out there anyway. But like you said, it whips up uh, both Colts Twitter and just in general the NFL in terms of just this whirlwind of what are we supposed to think. And, you know, we're not going to waste too much time on it because the, the true answer is that we don't really know. Um, it seems like they're being overcautious. And in reality, I don't know that um, that it really does us any good to be too terribly worried about it. Because, honestly, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that if he isn't good to go for the first or second, you know, uh, preseason game does that really make a difference is it really a big deal um Shepard what do you think in terms of the one the, the one argument that people do give that I've heard and I do understand the relevance of it but what do you think in terms of the rapport with receivers and the impact that it has on you know on just his his timing because obviously that is a thing that it could impact um heading into the start of the season do you think that matters or or is he good enough and is this offense uh, such that that's not that big of a deal. I mean, I, I think that it always matters. Um, to what degree, I'm not sure. Um, you know, Andrew Luck has played a lot of NFL football. And, you know, we saw last year, um, I mean, he and T.Y. Hadn't, hadn't really thrown against coverage for a long time, and they got back on track pretty pretty quick. Um, so with guys like with guys that he's played with with Ty with Eric Ebron with Jack Doyle, I don't I don't necessarily think that you're going to have uh, a huge impact. Obviously, it's not ideal, um, but what I would worry more about is what it's going to do with the new guys with Paris Campbell with Devin Funches. Um, you know, getting timing with those guys right now is the time to do it, and you know. Maybe that delays that a little bit. Maybe maybe they aren't as effective early on as what they could have been otherwise. Yeah, that's that's the one concern that I had was that coming out of the jump, they're probably going to be slower if he doesn't get a chance to get reps worked in. Um, and, and you do have guys like Funchess that are working into the system, guys like Paris Campbell that you hope could be involved in a big way. And that rapport is not going to be there because they don't have a chance to really build that up. But... The other side of that is that you can maybe expect a little bit more involvement from guys like Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron and T.Y. Hilton. And they've already said they want to have heavy involvement from, you know, Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack in terms of ground attack. So there's probably still quite a bit there to work with in terms of the offense. It definitely isn't ideal, but it makes me think it's probably not the end of the world. I'd much rather have a healthy Andrew Luck and some struggles with timing than push him just for the sake of getting those reps and end up having a lingering injury that lasts a lot longer. So, True. yeah, I, I think that that chemistry can come. I mean, look at uh, Inman last year, uh, you know, they didn't get a lot of, you know, they didn't get reps before he, uh, he stepped in and he became one of his most reliable and favorite targets. So you'll eventually get comfortable with people. Like once again, to repeat, is it ideal? No, not it. Not at all, but it's something that can be overcome with practice. 
So what they've said in terms of luck is that he's done for this week, essentially, is what Frank Reich said. They've got to practice uh, tomorrow. They've got to practice on Thursday, and then they have their their off day on Friday, and then they're going to reevaluate what he what his you know playing status looks like for Saturday's practice, and we'll see whether they end up actually getting him involved in the game. Um, or in the in the practice, uh, he will not play. They've already said in preseason week one against the Bills, and they actually said that was decided like three months ago. They had already decided he would not play in week one of the preseason. So that's not really a new thing. He he wasn't you know intending to play during that anyway. So not going to see him at least until Saturday, and then we'll see at that point. I have a feeling they're going to slow play that a whole lot, and I don't blame them. And I think that's probably the right move. So. I know there's a lot of tendency to have a knee-jerk reaction given what we went through over the last offseason. I don't think that's necessarily the right move. I think that, you know, cautious optimism is probably called for and just kind of monitoring the situation because ultimately it seems like Andrew is a little bit more self-aware in terms of injury. The way that he talked today made it seem like he has just decided he's not going to just push himself through some of that stuff and put himself in a bad position. He's going to be smart about it. And so I think that maybe we can take that for what it is that this is uh, being precautionary. He did say specifically he's played through worse pain in a game. And uh, Reich said, if this was a big game, he'd play. So that makes me think probably not as significant as we allow our imaginations to wander and convince ourselves that it is. So, uh, some of the other injuries that are relevant to consider, though, um, that I did kind of want to look at because there are a couple of them that I think probably matter more. Uh, you know, Jabal Sheard has a knee issue that Frank Reich has talked about. There's a possibility of it being I, I, I'm trying to remember the term. I believe they called it mildly <laughs> serious, and I don't really know what that means. It's a little bit. It's a little yeah. bit of a confusing term. Um, so a mildly serious knee injury that could keep him out. And they didn't, of course, they're very hesitant to give any kind of timetable or anything, but it sounded like they almost thought it could be something that could linger into causing him to miss regular season playing time. Um, And and they didn't go into details. And I don't know if we'll get more details when the season actually starts. I am somewhat suspicious myself and have speculated this with not a whole lot to go on because I have no more than what most people have that maybe they're waiting because he he had already practiced the first Thursday of practice. So they couldn't put him on pup because they do have to start training camp on the active pup list in order to be moved to uh, the reserve pup list, which allows them uh, to not count against the 53 man roster and be brought back after, I believe it's six weeks. They can't do that. If they practice, he practiced that first Thursday. So what their options are now is that they can either you know, I mean, they can put him if they think the injury is serious, they can wait till cut downs and then put him on injured reserve and they could bring him back um, at eight, after eight weeks. They can bring him back. And that would be an option if the injury is significant enough that they think that he's going to miss that kind of time. But it may not be. And they may think that they, you know, they could keep him around for a couple of weeks and in, in the hopes that he's going to you know, bounce back faster. We don't know what the extent of the injury is at this point. So really no idea what that, you know, is going to going to look like. Thankfully we have a good number of players who should be able to step in and contribute to the defensive end role, but none of them are probably going to be quite as, as polished at least maybe, maybe more talented, but not as polished as him. So that's a significant, uh, a significant loss for that defense 
Chris, what do you think in terms of replacing Sheard and, you know, how big a deal is it if he's out for several weeks in terms of regular season? Well, I mean, Jabal Sheard's a good player, um, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> we've got so many guys that are going to be thrown at the position anyway. Um, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if – I mean, it's not great, right? We want Jabal Sheard. We want our best players in the game. But to be able to, to play some of those younger guys, see what they have, give those guys a chance to get some reps in the game, it, they would have gotten anyway with the rotation, but they're going to get more with him being out. And then letting Jabal Sheard get rested up, get healthy, um, and really get ready to go for a playoff push – that. It's not. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Uh, if you know, if that's kind of, if that's what we're looking at, it, it could be way worse. Yeah, and isn't I mean, isn't this the position group we we said or we've talked about quite a bit at length of saying you know if, if you're going to lose somebody, this is the group that can that can absorb that hit more than than some others on the defense. Yeah, if you have to lose someone at any given position, that's probably the position group that can sustain it. I don't think that it's necessarily a crushing thing either. I, I actually was thinking a little bit of Taekwon Lewis missing the first half of last year and then coming back fresh after the rest of the defensive line was a little bit beat up. You had Danico Autry that was a little bit, I mean, he str- he had a great season, but he struggled with, uh, you know, kind of just being nicked up a lot of that time. Uh, you had Marcus Hunt, who, you know, I mean, he played really well at the first part of the season and then, you know, the wear and tear started to take its uh, effect on him and you had you lost guys like jihad ward and you had you know several of these guys that just started dropping just with the grind of the season and so it's not like you said it's not the end of the world to have somebody like that uh miss a few games early in a position group that's relatively strong hopefully it's not anything serious but that's probably a more concerning injury in my mind at least than andrew lux because it's obviously yeah, something that's more impactful and he is an impactful player So another guy that's interesting on this list is Paris Campbell, and he's a guy who's been kind of showing out in camp. And obviously, we've got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because, of course, it's camp. And we know that that doesn't necessarily mean much of anything. Now, the, the interesting thing with Campbell is maybe the ways that he's showing out are in in situations that are not necessarily believed, at least at the outset of the season, to be his strengths, because a lot of it's been good route running and uh, you know, some of those kinds of things that people weren't sure about, not necessarily excelling only in the slot, but you know, doing some work on the outside and, you know, able to win some of these battles against good cornerbacks that people just weren't sure if he was going to be able to do because he's kind of been labeled as that speedy gadget player. And so he's going to have to kind of work his way out of that reputation. And so far it seems he is impressing the coaches and he's been doing really well in camp with what he's been asked to do. Now, until you start getting game action, that just doesn't really matter all that much, but it does give you some sense that he is, um, that he's developing in the right way. So it stinks to see this hamstring issue because of course that is the bane of the existence of so many people early on in camp, getting these hamstring injuries. That's what laid Marlon Mack up early last season. And I think he wasn't really himself until about week six. It really sucks to have some of these explosive playmakers have a hamstring injury because you just don't know how they're going to respond to it, how long they're going to, 
take to come back? Think about somebody like Vontae Davis. The drop-off between Vontae Davis with a hamstring issue and Vontae Davis healthy was dramatic and ridiculous. I mean, the guy was a completely different player. So you just don't know what you're going to get with somebody like Paris Campbell. Stinks for him who's you know trying to earn some starting snaps and and a chance to get on the field quickly and maybe make an impact. Do you think that that gives any of these other guys a chance to shine? And if that has any effect at all on, on the process, you know, what are your thoughts on that whole injury situation, Jim? Well, really the question is how much does this benefit Dion Kane? Is that what you're trying to get at? <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to get at. <laughs> you're trying to pull more hot takes out of this show and, that's not what we're here for. Um, I, I definitely think it does give some opportunities. As clearly as they were, you know, he was he seemed to be pretty squarely in at the the number three spot. Um, so, giving you know that he's probably going to sit out a few practices, and I guess he has been there, or at least you know when he tweaked it, he he didn't leave. So I don't think hopefully it's it's something too bad and. I hope they are overly cautious with it. But yeah, I mean, somebody coming in who was getting that level of reps and is going to be taken out of the game for a couple days, uh, it does give a great uh, opportunity to the younger guys to step up and people like Deion Kane, um, who, you know, the Colts already like quite a bit, uh, now has a few more opportunities to show them, you know, why they like to keep him. Yeah, I, I don't think that we need to spend too terribly much time on, you know, on that particular injury. It didn't seem hugely serious. He was standing on the sideline. He got ice. He was he was wrapped, you know, briefly and then was, you know, had ice and then he was done. Uh, he didn't leave, like you said. So it doesn't make you think that it was just this debilitating thing. It, it hopefully doesn't become anything more than it is, but. You know, definitely something to keep an eye on for for a rookie that has been generating some buzz at camp so far. Uh, another person who maybe is more impactful that I really didn't like to see is that we've got Kamoko Ture with a shoulder issue, and that happened the day that I was there, and has really just kind of still been something that he's dealing with. And as a person who is likely to be contributing to, you know, work on the end, and obviously when they've now got two guys who from you know, defensive end position that are struggling with injuries. That's not great. Uh, Ture looked really good in the practice that I, you know, everything that I saw, he was having a fantastic day. He would have had, by my count, he would have had one sack and probably a strip sack uh, during the course of their uh, full team you know, practice. Now they were not in full pads and obviously they're not allowed to contact the quarterback. So you don't get a full sense of how, close they are because you can get pretty close with NFL quarterbacks in a game and it doesn't really count for anything. He was definitely getting QB pressures and and would have had in, in a legitimate game, but he, he was, he was almost getting home and you know, that was impressive to see his get off was really good. He looked like he was doing well there. So you hope that doesn't, doesn't linger and slow him up because he's a guy who in year two could really take a big step. And we all kind of talked about some excitement about what he can do having a shoulder injury early is definitely not what you want for somebody who you're you're hoping takes that next step. And I can't remember, Shepard, was that one of your guys that you had kind of had, you know, great expectations for for this this coming season? I couldn't remember who of us had him, but I feel like it maybe was you. 
Uh, I, I don't remember saying that I could have, <laughs> um, but I, so Kamoko Teresa, one of those guys where I kind of think that, you know, he, he's really got to do something. He was, you know, he had a, a lot of healthy scratches last year after really starting the season with a lot of playing time. So, um, you know, this injury isn't great for him. Hopefully it's not a big deal. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Um, but anything Kamoko Ture can do on the field, like you said, it, all accounts from camp were that he was looking good early on. So if he can return to that and, and he can, you know, give some, some actual real productivity and some preseason games, that would be great for him. And it would, uh, you know, it might be great for the, the future of the defensive line. Yeah. I, I think that if they can get those, some of those, it might actually benefit some of those other guys who are trying to get a roster spot either with the Colts or just somewhere, because it's going to be a tough group to make. And, uh, you know, guys like, well, I mean, like, like Taekwon Lewis, who kind of plays defensive end and defensive tackle, both, or uh, Jihad Ward, who is trying to kind of make a spot there. You've got uh, Carol Phillips, Carol Phillips, Muhammad al Kadeen. Those guys are all trying to get an opportunity, and this gives them a chance to maybe make an impression. And then you've got, and, and I didn't uh, mention him, but he actually had an outstanding practice as well. Uh, Banigou was excellent mm-hmm. at the practice yep. I was at, and that gives him a really great opportunity to shine with these guys kind of on the sidelines and and get some reps when he's probably not going to get a, a ton of them with all of these guys healthy. So not a bad not a bad thing there, but you definitely hope these guys get healthy. And I think that the cautious approach that the Colts are going to take likely means that you're not going to see a ton of them in the next uh, week of practices, but hopefully nothing major. As far as we know, there is no major injury short of whatever is going on with uh, Jabal Sheard. So well, and, and with Banigou, they, they have been moving him. They have pretty much gone exclusively uh, defensive end with him, haven't they? Yeah, I don't think they've played him at all as a linebacker. I think he's exclusively yeah. played defensive end. And I think it's partly been because of his aptitude. I think he, he both has a very good get off, but also I think he struggled a little bit at the Sam position and they just don't want to overload him. Uh, that actually ties back to the philosophy that, you know, Frank Reich and uh Paris Campbell both echoed the same kind of thing. They're going to start Campbell as a slot receiver because they don't want to overload their rookies Mm. and they want them to be able to do what they ask of them really well before they start expanding their roles. And that makes sense. Um, They've got depth. There's no reason to try to make these guys do it all because more than likely what they'll do is be mediocre at everything instead of being able to focus in on one thing. So, um, I think that's probably the right call, and I think that giving Banigou the opportunity to use his get-off is is definitely a valuable one. He almost had – I mean, I don't know if he would have been able to have a pick, but he would have at least been able to have batted down a pass. Um, he was he was in the backfield where there was a swing pass during practice, and he was there. He could have taken that ball to the end zone had he gotten, you know, gotten his hands on it. Um, it was that quick. So definitely an encouraging start you know, for, for him and an opportunity with some of these guys banged up. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, and I think unless you guys have got, well, I, we did have another piece of news. We, we wanted to go through very briefly. We won't give this too terribly much time, but the NFL top 100 has dropped some more of their list this evening. And Andrew Luck is number 20 on that list. And Darius Leonard is at 26. So some guys a little bit higher up in the ranks than what they have been in the past. Luck was, I think, in the 70s last year. I don't know if it was. I feel I want to say 76, but I could be I could be completely I could be completely off on that one. Um, 
not high on that list. Obviously, having a great season certainly helps, showing that he's he's back and moderately healthy, at least that his arm is healthy, um, has changed some opinions on that. So certainly interesting there. I know this is not this is not a list that you know is just steeped in uh, analysis or anything like that. It's kind of a glorified popularity contest, and it ultimately doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But I know, of course. You know, fans get riled up about it and and certainly have strong feelings about where everybody places. But I think it, it's a show of respect that Luck is is a top 20 guy. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely. It's not a, definitely not a bad thing. Um, it's never bad when your guys are ranked highly by their peers. But I will just say I think uh, I think Trent Richardson was ranked 40th overall after his rookie year. I want to say it was in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like you said, like you alluded to, uh, it's nice to have – Ultimately, it probably doesn't mean that much. Yeah, I don't know if Andrew Luck was even on the list last year, was he? Uh, yeah, missing a whole season tends to do that. He, he may not. Yeah, I, would, I, I think it was 2017 when he was ranked fairly low, potentially. But yeah, because I just looked through 2018's list, I didn't see him. It really doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, that's possible as well. And obviously, it makes no difference at all because, you know, he, he had a very good season last year, whether or not anybody believed that he belonged in the NFL's top 100. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, we're not going to get too terribly broken up about it. But it is it is nice to see one thing that is also interesting. And and sometimes maybe this is more meaningful to the pl- individual player. I almost wish Darius Leonard hadn't made this list because some of these guys really like to play with a chip on their shoulder. Um and I don't know if that is how Quentin Nelson plays, but apparently he is not on this list anywhere. And, you know, he's already nasty enough as it is. If he takes that personally, then there could be actual defensive linemen that die this season. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, he, I saw somebody mention something about Darius Leonard saying that, you know, oh, actually, it's great they put him at 26 <laughs> because he's going to be angry that they still think there's 25 people better than him. So yeah, it really doesn't and, matter. <laughs> It's his is like the most respectful anger that you'll ever come across. To I mean, he's not he's not a jerk about it or anything. He's just like I'm going to smile at you and shake your hand while I crush your soul. Yep. Um, and and I love it. It's great. So um, so yeah, that's that's all there really is to that. Were there was there any other news items, guys? That um, I don't think there was anything else we discussed, but. You know that that's really all there is in terms of that. It's it's largely, unfortunately, injury news, um, and uh, yeah. So we've got now uh, the Bills Colts training or Bills Colts game is next up. Uh, you know, coming up next week, and that is on the eighth. So that's well, I guess that's yeah, a little over next. So just a little over a week, week from the time that you're listening to this, I guess would be one week from. Uh, from then be August 8th and that is at Buffalo looks like it could be a little bit uh, lower key just probably based on the fact that they're going to slow play a lot of these players who are who are nicked up the first the first week to 10 days and they've already said that that's the time that they've seen uh, all these studies that show that there's higher rate of injury so I expect them to be pretty bland in that game to be perfectly honest with you and so can't say that I'm chomping at the bit to see that, but seeing real football uh, at quote unquote real football anyway is is definitely exciting, and it's just a little over a week away from now, so that's that's something to look forward to at least. Um, all right, so what I wanted to, to do is take a look 
like I said, at the uh, some of these position battles that are coming up and talk a little bit about what I saw at camp. So first things uh, that I noticed at camp, and one of the things that you'll notice if you get a chance to go, and I think we talked last week that you definitely should go. Uh, good crowd. It's a lot of fun. Um, you want to pick, if you can go a couple of times, it's better. If you can't go a couple of times, obviously you do what you can. But um, everything's scripted. The way that they do things is you have an opportunity. They kind of, and they actually have, have got a PA and uh, a PA set up for them to kind of announce what they're going to be doing in every section of practice. And so they, they have a buzzer that goes off or a air horn or whatever to kind of signal the end of a certain activity. And then they kind of come on the PA and tell you, Hey, we're going to do seven on sevens. That's what they're moving into. Oh, they're going to be doing some, uh, some special teams drills while they're kind of getting whatever set up. And, and, they move there's two different fields side by side and you kind of watch one side of the field or the other, depending on where you are on the bleachers. And in my case, you know, I have a little bit more freedom being on the, on the sideline. You can move a little bit more freely to see what's going on, but you do kind of have to choose whether you're going to watch offense or defense. And I mostly watched offense, especially during sort of individual drills and seven on sevens. I was watching offensive players more. And then during team drills, I did watch, sort of what was going on on the defensive line a little bit and then a little bit in terms of of the defensive backs but largely I was there to watch uh the relationship with the receivers some of these younger receivers and uh largely to Jacoby Brissett luck did throw while I was there and looked really good really sharp uh connection he was he was eight of nine and the only pass that he didn't complete was because of of a it was a coverage sack and so he had to throw the ball away then it was obviously not a sack because definitely don't touch luck in training camp or, or you'll be cut immediately. But, um, so Dion Kane, uh, you'll be sad to note was not practicing the day that I was there. It was a huge disappointment. Uh, and, and, and he did not have media availability. So I, I couldn't even go talk to him and, you know, ask him if he was mortally offended, uh, by Shepard. Um, <laughs> but, but it was one of those practices. It was, it really was pretty interesting to watch the rapport with some of these guys. First of all, Eric Ebron, um, I might have to take back what I said about me thinking his statistics uh, this season, that his numbers are going to go down because he's looked awesome. Every single thing I've seen from him. I mean, the whole practice I was there, he looked amazing. First of all, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy who looks like he has more fun than Eric Ebron at practice. Um, because he just that way. Yeah. He's just, he's just having a good time. And he just was on and he was on with Jacoby and he was on with Andrew. He just, he was catching everything. He was, his routes looked crisp. His, I mean, he didn't drop anything that I remember. Um, I mean, just looked good. And, you know, that was in t- in full team and it, the videos I've seen of him with, you know, in pad stuff from the next couple of days, he still has just looked good all through camp. It's one of those things where, you know, you see in years past, we've watched TY do the same kind of thing where you just, he just looks on and you just see from the outset, this guy is just going to have another good year. That's exactly what Ebron looks like right now. And I'm just thinking, man, I might've been the idiot who said, yeah, he's going to take a step back. I'm not sure that he will. Uh, he looks really good. And the rapport is still there. And especially if you've got guys missing time, it's pretty exciting to see what Ebron can can do this season. Now, does this matter? I don't know. But it's really exciting given that Doyle's going to be coming back from an injury and you don't really know, you know, how he's going to look early. Seeing him be on this much gym is is pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, and I, I was one of those people who, you know, on this show said, 
I, I expect his production to go down a little. And, and it wasn't because uh, he was not going to be capable of doing it. Uh, we just thinking here, you know, logistics. But we also, you know, I think I think fairly well covered our butts when we made those predictions that all of this doesn't matter and it could all change at any <laughs> moment. Um, and, and injuries are often the thing that drive that change. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I honestly hope everybody's numbers go up. Like that's that would be ideal, but there's only so much football to play, and uh, you know it's it's going to be hard for everybody to do that. But with that being said, I, I hope so, man. And and it does not look like anybody has more fun on that field than Eric Ebron does. That dude is smiling nonstop, and it's it's pretty incredible. The Colts have put out some pretty decent videos uh, of him at training camp, uh, especially like the one where he's waiting for Ty. Uh, is is pretty enjoyable, um, and so yeah, I I'm excited to see what he can do. Also, I believe he he brought up uh, his blocking recently, uh, and <laughs> said that that's something that he needs to focus on. Yeah, tied in. So you know if if that's a true statement, and he's not just saying that because that's where everybody dinged him. Uh, well, then more power to him. Be that rounded rounded tight end. He got dinged for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he sure did i mean he even kind of if i remember last year somebody asked him about it and didn't he laugh uh, or something like that maybe but man from just from re-watching the games i've re-watched and in watching the film eric hebron is a really big wide receiver <laughs> um yeah yeah, yeah. nope Pretty hopefully much. i mean hopefully he does get better with that i think that him looking good in camp uh and you know coming out and, and playing like that it's a good sign um but ultimately, you know, he was a high first round pick for the Lions for for good reason, uh, and it's that he is a big, fast man. Um, so you know, it uh, it's not necessarily surprising that he's looked good, but it's definitely a good sign that he's motivated, he's happy, he's in a good spot, you know, physically and mentally. And uh, man, I, I hope that I hope that we just have a, a really fun season of Colts football. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was kind of interesting to me, and and this is changing gears a little bit, because Ebron, like we said, we've we've seen proven results from him. But one of the guys who I think his chances are pretty slim to make the roster, but he could make the practice squad. Um, he he's he's a very interesting guy, Penny Hart. So he's an undrafted free agent. He's a rookie, and he's a small guy, very fast. Uh, I talked on the sideline with Jake uh, Arthur who writes for Colts.com and was a stampede blue writer for a couple of years. I think at least one um, did some great work over there and does great work for Colts.com. We were chatting and he really likes Penny Hart and it wasn't hard to see why after we watched for a little bit, I think it's going to be tough for him to make our roster just because of just how tough it's going to be for anybody to make uh, the roster in the wide receiver position. But he runs back while I'm there. He runs back a kick return for a touchdown and it looked like everybody was moving in slow motion around this kid. He was, it was brilliant. And yeah, he, he's a rookie. He's an undrafted free agent for a reason. Um, he's I think five, eight, 183 pounds. He's small. And so, and he's one of those guys that eh, you just don't know what he can contribute in the receiver room. But if you could get somebody like that with explosive traits, um, on the practice squad, which I think is likely because he, he suffered some injuries, uh, during OTAs, and then he's kind of banged up again now. He he didn't 
show out very well in terms of his combine results because he was hurt. He's just had a lot of injury problems. If he could end up on the practice squad, the Colts don't have a dynamic returner. They have Chester Rogers doing that, who is a trustworthy one, but he's not necessarily breaking any plays. He's just a safe option. And that's fine because it's a whole lot better than having a guy who muffs a bunch of, of kicks. Um, like apparently Paris Campbell has been. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I think that it makes sense to try those guys out at that stuff, but if it's not something that they do, it doesn't make sense to force it. I still think that set, I think, I think doing that to Philip Dorsett really uh, hurt him in terms of his confidence right out of the gate and trying to force somebody into that. Naheem Hines, the same thing. I'm really glad that this, that this coaching staff didn't just keep trying to put him out there and do that, but said, yeah, you're not good at this. Let's (laughs) not keep doing this anymore. Um, because it doesn't make sense to keep banging our head against this wall. That's dumb. And I think that's the thing you have to be careful about. And it, with this group, you know, they don't they don't necessarily have that guy. They've got some special teams contributors who are very valuable. Um, Zach Pascal has been a really good special teams guy, and that may get him a roster spot. I don't know. Um, Chris Ballard raved about him specifically by name. And I don't think he contributed much in terms of the actual receiving side of, of the ball. Maybe I'm, you know, glossing over his achievements, but the things that I remember him the most for were, uh, you know, a couple of tipped or bobbled balls that ended up as picks. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's what I think of when I think of him in terms of the receiving game. Now the special teams value is there, but somebody like Penny Hart could maybe carve out a role in something like that. If, he can stay healthy and develop on the practice squad. I don't think he has a chance to make the initial 53 just because I think he's not going to have a chance to make an impression, but he was a really interesting watch and he's really fast. It's been a, it's been a long time since I feel like the Colts have had a dynamic returner. Um, We've, we've had a lot of, a lot of guys that we've hoped would be that. I remember when T Y Hilton was drafted, um, we kind of thought that's what T Y Hilton was going to be. Ryan Grixon, uh, he traded back up in the third round to, to go out and get a guy who he thought was going to return kicks and punts. Um, Really, I mean, I could be wrong, but the last guy I remember feeling really good about returning kicks was Brad Pyatt. Uh, and that's been a long, long time ago. And most Colts fans probably don't remember Brad Pyatt. Um, so, you know, it, it would be nice if a guy like Penny Hart came along and, and could make the roster. Um, but being a smaller guy struggling with injuries, if you're a small guy that struggles with injuries, you're probably there's a good chance you're never not going to struggle with injuries. Yeah, it's pretty hard to stay healthy as it is. But if you're 5'8", 180 pounds, it's really going to be tough for you Regardless, I mean, I feel like you're going to be banged up perpetually. If you can't even get to the NFL without being perpetually injured, it's going to be a problem. So I just I have a heart. I mean, I'm rooting for the guy. I think he, he was an exciting. I mean, that play was incredible. And it was probably the highlight play of the, the day when I was there. Um, but I just sort of feel like it's going to be a really tough for him to do anything more than make the practice squad. Um which, which could be good for special teams because it still gives you an opportunity to play against a dynamic returner when he's healthy, and maybe that helps the special teams improve. So I, I don't know. Um, pulling for the guy. Hope he, hope he can stay healthy and, and do something, but I'm, I'm not overly optimistic of his chances to make the roster. Um, really quickly, guys, because uh, we, we kind of have gotten to this point in the show and haven't done it, let's, let's take a real quick break and uh, hear a word from our sponsors here. 
Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back. We're going to go through one more area specifically that I had in mind in terms of uh, some camp stuff. We we wanted to talk about camp battles, and I'll tie in a little bit of my uh, experience from being at camp because, like I said, I watched the defensive backs a little bit, and I've watched quite a bit in terms of video and um, and listened to a lot of the commentary from several different uh, Colts writers and, and around the area in terms of what is going on with some of the, uh, the cornerbacks. And so I wrote a story on our cornerbacks. This is probably the best cornerback group in, I don't know how long, um, you know, Chris, you were talking about looking back in terms of kick returners that you feel really good about. I don't know that I've seen a group of corners on this Colts roster. I felt this good about from top to bottom, maybe ever. Um, at least in my Colts fandom, I'm not sure if that's an if, if that's a reach. Would you say that's a fair assessment, or am I am I overselling it a little bit? I think as far as depth is concerned, that's probably pretty fair. I can't think of a time when, uh, again, in my Colts fandom, which, I mean, again, I remember Jim Harbaugh, but I was I was a kid, you know, I, I don't really remember. But as far as what I can remember, this is the deepest group of corners that they've ever had. I think there were a couple of years there where Vontae Davis was heads and shoulders more talented than than probably anybody we have on the roster. I think Vontae was probably a top three or top four corner at one point. Uh, I don't think we have a guy like that, but just from depth, like you said, from top to bottom, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that – I definitely don't remember there being a team with this much depth. Yeah, it's one of those groups that I'm, I'm not sure – I'm not sure what the ceiling is on all of them because some of them are really young. I mean, you've got Quincy Wilson, who's 23. You've got Kenny Moore, who I believe is 20. Is I think he might be also 23. And then you've got uh, Pierre Desir, who's 28. And that is, you know, yeah, that's that's getting to a point where you start to think we're, we're going to need to have a backup plan. But we have backup plans. Uh, we've got guys in place. And Rocky Sin has been... Uh, looking pretty good in camp so far again doesn't mean a whole lot but he's been he's shown that he's opportunistic uh has gotten some tipped passes uh has grabbed those picks and the thing is about guys like that who consistently do it at some point you stop you have to stop and say you know some of this is right place right time but how many tipped balls did anthony walker drop last year um some guys have it and some guys don't. I always thought, and maybe maybe you know, you guys feel the same way. I felt like Mike Davis. I feel like I've just got Mike Adams. Mike Davis was a coach for IU. I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, Mike Adams, uh, safety, 
you know, during the Pagano time, I, I feel like that guy had a knack for just being in the right place. And he just was perpetually picking off balls that seemed like layup balls that somebody just threw him, but it just kept happening. And eventually you kind of have to throw your hands up and say, man, there's something to this. If this just keeps happening to this guy. And I got a little bit of a sense of that with, uh, you know, with Rocky Sin. And obviously it's training camp. It's early. He's throw. he's, you know, going up against some less than stellar quarterback play because Andrew Luck's not playing the whole time, but he just sort of has that knack to be in the right place to make a play. And that's really encouraging to see from a guy who doesn't have to have a great start to his season. He has an opportunity to sit and develop behind, you know, these guys who are going to start. The question that I asked and, and this, you know, got things a little bit riled up in our, uh, I kind of put together my idea for a depth chart here, because of course we think probably that your starters are Pierre Desir, Kenny Moore, and Quincy Wilson, if they're all healthy uh, to start the season, that that's pretty well settled. And then it's the next wave of guys that you don't really know about because you've got, you know, you've got your, you've got Nate Harrison, you've got Chris Milton, who is a guy who I would say is on the outside looking in, but he's a special teams guy that they really value and probably, I think he was maybe third on the team in terms of special team snaps and and first in terms of cornerbacks last year in special team snaps. So he's a valuable part of the special teams game and they really like him there. And then you've got, you know, Nate Harrison and you've got uh, Rocky Sin and you've got, so you're starting to run out of space in terms of these cornerbacks when you're looking at this group and going, I'm I'm not really sure where I make room for all of these guys and who all is going to be on this roster uh, when cutdowns come through. So, Jim, who, well, rather than put you on the spot that way, what do you, what do you think about the idea? Mm-hmm. And, and I, Stephen Reed proposed this, and I, I think it's a good one, but if you have to get rid of Nate Hairston because you want to keep one of these younger guys, because you've got Jalen Collins, who's also played pretty well, and he looked pretty good when I was there as well. If you got to get rid of Nate Harrison, if he's the odd man out, um, do you think it makes sense to – do you think that anybody's trading for him? Do you think that, I mean, Pagano's up in Chicago. That was the proposed trade, um, you know, for Harrison that maybe we could send him up to Chicago and let Pagano continue to use him. He was brought in under Pagano's uh, time in Indy and, you know, did pretty well there. Is it possible you think that that trade works out or, um, or do you think the Colts keep six and try to keep him around? Uh, man, I don't know. I don't Keeping six, uh, did we keep, how many did we keep last year? I think that they maybe did keep six at the outset, but they also had some, they also did had they some injury. Six? And the, the other thing is they didn't have some of the depth in other places where they really were worried about. I mean, like at tight end, yeah. they kept more, but they also used the practice squad pretty liberally. And they, I mean, yeah. they didn't have the talent to worry about people snatching up some of the guys they were rotating, rotating in and out of the practice squad. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to do that this year and expect that those guys are still going to be there. Exactly. Um, That's why I, I, I see kind of a hard, I have a hard time seeing them keeping six. Um, whether there would be trade value in that. I mean, your, your hypothetical situation with Pagano seems nice. Uh, what would, you know, Chicago be willing to give up for him a, a, a fairly late round pick, which isn't a bad thing. You know, we usually, I think if, yeah, I mean, I think usually if you give up anything, 
uh, it's a late round pick there because you're yeah. basically paying to say, don't release this guy so that we're, we're too late on the waiver wire to grab this guy. We'll give you a future, we'll give you a next year's seventh round or whatever it is, a 2020 uh, seventh round or a 2021 sixth or seventh round or something like that. That's pretty late. That's somewhat meaningless. We just want to give you some sort of compensation to basically make it worth your while or in the event. And I believe they did this in 2017 or maybe it was last year when they, when they traded away Antonio Morrison uh, to the Packers and it was a player swap and it was just kind of, Hey, we think we might like this, uh, you know, this player. And I don't think that, I don't know if he stuck with the the Packers very long, but I think the player that, that he was traded for did not stick with the Colts very long. And it's just one of those things where it's like, we want first crack at this guy. Uh, we think they could contribute, but we don't want to give up too much. Um, Here's this here's this guy we were going to cut anyway, and you give us the guy you're going to cut anyway, and we all kind of benefit from that. I think probably that's the best you could hope for, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, and I would never put the possibility of getting more picks past Chris, Chris Ballard. So I, I wouldn't doubt that they'd shop him around and see what they could get for him if that comes down to it. But, um, I mean, like I said, he's, he's got special team ability. Um Jalen Collins probably hasn't really been asked to do that a whole lot uh, up until this point. And I think that's going to be something he's probably going to have to show a bit more based on where, you know, they seem to have been pretty locked in on their starting three and then rock. And so there's going to be a bit of a battle between those two down there. And I think special teams is going to be a big part of it. Yeah. Special teams is definitely a significant part of the bottom of the cornerback depth, because if you're going to cut Chris Milton, who is definitely not in terms of a cornerback play, definitely not in the league of any of these other guys, but in terms of special teams, he's very valuable. Um, I mean, they value being good on special teams and they should. That's an important part of the game and they've been pretty solid at it over the past couple of years. And if they, if they're going to give him up, they got to get somebody in there who's going to be able to do that. Well, they had Marvell tell the rookie fifth round pick in doing some special teams work today and, and was getting some accolades for what he was getting done today. They're going to need somebody like that who can do that kind of thing because they can't just get rid of a special of a really good special teamer and not replace them with anybody. That's going to sting. And they don't really have any special teams production from their starters. Nate Harrison was relegated to special teams, but he was not really, you know, taking, you know, a heavy workload in special teams. He was not necessarily any doing anything really notable uh, in terms of his contributions there. And so if they keep Harrison, they've got to keep somebody who can be in that role of special teams. And I just, like you said, I'm not sure. I just, I can't see them keeping more than five. I got a feeling five is going to be the number unless they feel like, and Shepard, what, I don't know what your thoughts here are, unless they feel like keeping six corners and cutting a position like, I guess maybe linebacker where they feel like the depth of talent isn't as good. Maybe they cut a player at maybe they cut a player at receiver. Maybe they cut a player where they feel like the actual talent there is less. And even though they'd maybe like to have another player, they feel like that their, their talent is higher at the sixth cornerback position than their talent would be at the sixth wide receiver position or whatever position it would be that they decide to get rid of. I don't know how hard a line you have that have on your depth chart when you decide uh, you know, we have to have this many players. I don't know if you do get to the best player available all the way down at the bottom of some of those, or if you have to just say, Hey, I know this player is technically a more talented player, but we need this position more. 
Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, they probably have a good idea of of what they wanted each position as far as numbers are concerned. But ultimately, things are going to kind of be dictated, I mean, like they are every year by injury. Um, If they can somehow get through the rest of camp and the rest of all of preseason without there being any major injuries, that's amazing. Um, if that, if that doesn't happen, um, then, you know, you're going to want to try to fill in where you need to fill in. So it could be that corners, the position where you kind of have a couple, couple guys on the outside looking in that maybe you would have liked to have kept, but because injuries happened at other positions, you know, you're, you're going to have to make room for uh, another guy somewhere else. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and I keep saying this, but it's <laughs> it's true every time I've said it. It's really great we're having this much discussion over Nate Hairston instead of who's playing corner cornerback one or cornerback two. Um, I remember okay. in 2012, Lux rookie year, I think we started Air Bud and the Garbage Man at right and left corner. So it's <laughs> it's just it's great to see that we're in a we're in a much better position now than what we've been in a long time as Colts fans. Air Bud was a very good boy. He. He was. It really he worked real hard. It really is like I, I felt bad. I had I kind of had a protracted discussion in the comments for this story on Stamping Blue with a couple of people. And one of the guys is a big fan of Nate Harrison. And I am, too. I really like you know, I really like him as a player. And I uh, I probably don't come across that way in some of the comments because this guy is just dead set that that Nate Harrison is an inferior player to Quincy Wilson. And, um, and so a lot of my criticisms of Hairston sort of come off sounding almost like I dislike the guy. And that's just not the case. I'm, I really do like him and I hope the Colts have a chance to keep him because like you said, it's awesome to think about him being like the weak link of the cornerback group, because that's a pretty excellent group. And, uh, if you could have something to the same effect that you've got on the defensive line in your cornerbacks room, where you could rotate guys out and have players be fresh, that's, there's value in that. Um, and that's a young group, too. So you have somebody like Pierre Desir who's got an out on his contract next year. And if you have Rock really blow up or you have Jalen Collins, who just really continues to, you know, if he keeps his nose clean and keeps playing better, you can get to a point where you can start to sub some of these guys in and look at moving on from Desir as he approaches. Because like I said, he's 28 and he's going to be 29 in the course of this season. And if you can be looking to move on from him at the end of this year, uh, and they do, like I said, have an out on his contract to do that if they want to. I mean, if he's going into year 30 as a corner, there's oftentimes a drop off around that time. And it's just it's just generally how things go. His ceiling is not going to be any higher. You just don't see people who at 30 start can, you know, continue to get better in, in football. That's just not generally the way things work. Not without um, the help of some Mexican supplements. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So so you just, in in all reality, you need to have somebody else moving into that role. And ideally, that's Rocky Sin. And if it's not, that's, you know, there maybe it's somebody else. But if you can start to work those guys in and then keep this depth there, these are all a group of very young corners that should continue to get better. And, you know, three years from now, if they've continued to develop and if the coaching staff's done the job that we hope they will – this is a really, really good group of cornerbacks and you've had opportunity to continue to bolster that group. And if, like I said, if you can keep them fresh and rotate guys in and out, that gives you even more flexibility, both in terms of what you can do scheme wise. If you've got sort of versatile guys like Quincy Wilson, who can play several different positions, uh, guys like Kenny Moore, who are really great in, uh, in slot and nickel kind of roles, but also can play on the outside. Any of that kind of stuff really helps the Colts defense be more versatile. And, 
exciting, like you said, Shepard, that we don't have to be worrying about, you know, who are we slotting in by default at these positions just because we don't have any other mm-hmm. options. Uh, and I think that's definitely going to bode well for this season, uh, for the defense as a whole. And yeah, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see the defense getting wins in training camp early, um, you know, in, in terms of the defensive backs, just making the running backs or the receivers look bad and, you know, playing tough on the ball and all that. So exciting to see all of that. And again, doesn't mean a whole lot at this point in the season. We're still very young and we're still not, you know, into real game action. Time will tell what that actually means in terms of, of what the season can be, but exciting to be having that conversation uh, about this cornerback group at the outset of it right now. So what are the, are there any other positions that you guys have been watching closely in terms of, of tight battles so far in camp and this jumped out at you or uh, just been kind of something you're wondering about at this early point in the season of, of what the Colts might be planning? You know, I still have questions about, you know, the, the depth and the linebacking core, who's going to make it there. Um, haven't really seen a ton of reports come out of camp as far as some of the younger guys. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they play in the in the upcoming preseason games. That is a group that I'm probably going to be watching pretty closely in the games. Um, and, you know, I've got a lot of hope that we're going to have a deep group there and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that the linebackers are really hard to gauge. Honestly, the Colts did, and this is one of the more boring things about training camp from an evaluation standpoint. The Colts did a lot of ran a lot of run plays. Uh, they they just they ran the ball a lot in practice, and I know that they have to do that. That's part of it. It's incredibly boring to watch in training camp because it means literally nothing. There's there's no you know there's no tackling. They're not in full pads, or at least when I was watching, they weren't. And even when they are in full pads, it's just not the same. Uh, it's not a full go practice. So it's just really hard to know what anything means in terms of the running game, because you have a running back break one. Fine. Nobody, the linebackers aren't hitting like they would normally. The defensive line is not crashing down like they would normally. It's just not really an authentic look at what the run game is. So when you see these reports coming up about a running back really just blowing up, uh, it just doesn't matter. And so it's hard to gauge until you get live game action what these linebackers are going to do. Uh, you can look at coverage and and there has been some good coverage, you know, that there have been some things they've done that have, have looked good. But ultimately, like you said, they're going to be the ones to watch, probably maybe the most interesting group to watch um, in, in some of these preseason games is that linebacker group to see how they really stack up and get to watch them actually go after it. You haven't heard Bobby Okariki's name a lot in terms of, you know, jumping out and, and highlights and stuff in camp so far. And I think that you maybe will. If he's going to flash, it may be game type stuff where you're going to see that start to happen. So that'll definitely be an exciting thing to watch. And um, and, and it'll look a whole lot different in terms of, you know, what we'll start to get a better read of, of some of those groups like the linebackers, like the running backs and stuff like that, that you just can't really gauge based off of practice. So one other takeaway that I had, and I did wanted to point this out because I've, I've now um, – you know, basically made myself look silly several times. Um, so two of the players that I basically thought there's no way they could be used as heavily as they were going to be, or as they were last year, uh, there's no way they're going to be used the same way. Um, the one other thing that jumped out to me without, I mean, and I just said that the running game doesn't matter and that watching the running backs is somewhat futile during practice. But one thing that you can watch is how much guys are used and Every single time I looked up, it seemed like Naheem Hines had the ball in his hands. Um, 
he ran the ball a ton through the practice that I was there for, and he caught a ton of balls through the practice that I was there for. I think it's a pretty strong indicator that there's that Naheem Hines is not going anywhere. He's going to be a big part of this offense in 2019. I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know what capacity he's going to be involved in, but I don't get the sense based on the way they were using him in practice and what I've seen from him. I think he's going to get a lot of looks and a lot of touches on the ball, and so that's pretty exciting. Um, he's an exciting player. Said he worked out uh, with the uh, NC State track team over the course of this summer because he wanted to get faster because of course that's what you need out of your guy who's already blazing fast is for him to be faster. So I'm excited about what's going to happen with him. Yeah. They love them some Naheem Hines quite a bit. They love those versatile guys who they can stick in all kinds of situations and get production out of. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. He just, he creates a really difficult matchup for a defense. Who do you cover him with? Do you cover him with a DB? Do you cover him with a linebacker? Is, are you going to treat him as a receiver or a running back? I mean, yeah. it's a, he, he's a, he's a problem for, for opposing defenses. Well, and and if you motion yep. him out from, I mean, if he, if he lines up behind the line and then you motion him out into the slot, you're just creating difficulty across the board. And I'm just envisioning him running these little crossers with Paris Campbell and just and just people yeah. going like, what am I supposed to do with this? What? How am I? Sp- I mean, it's got two crazy fast guys, and and oh yeah, that there's T. Y. Hilton out on the field somewhere here too that I got to try to remember is playing in this game. So um, you could just put so much speed on the field, and just the opportunity for plays. And given you know somebody like Frank Reich who knows how to get you know who knows how to capitalize on those abilities, it's just it's one of those things that was something I noted that I wasn't sure if he was going to suffer as a result of some of these other pieces. I just don't think that's going to be the case based on what I've seen so far. So kind of a little, little interesting nugget. And the last thing that I wanted to, you know, close this out with is, you know, I, I didn't talk a ton about stuff at camp, but one thing that jumped out at me and I did write about this a little bit um, is, you know, we talked about Paris Campbell already, but um you know, we talked about T.Y. and what T.Y. said about him, I believe, on the last podcast where, you know, T.Y. was talking about that he's kind of picking his brain and that he's following him around. I was really encouraged by listening to what Paris Campbell had to say because he echoed kind of the exact same thing. Um, and he was talking about in practice, T.Y., you know, had a break on a route and he actually went over to him afterward and was like, hey, man, you know, what did you do on this? What did you see? Why did you do this? And to me, that's really encouraging to hear from. I mean, first of all, he's you know very respectful guy. Um, got asked some really stupid questions by some of the the people around, and it convinced me to not say anything because I was like, man, I don't want to be the guy who says this, who asks a stupid question like <laughs> this. But um, got asked, you know, if he had big expectations for himself for the year, and it's like, what is the guy going to say? No, I I plan to cash my checks and coast. I am not interested in doing anything more than that. Have a nice day. It's like bare minimum. <laughs> thank you very much. It's, it's like, I, I mean, I could think of worse <laughs> questions to ask, but not many. Um, it's just, it's so dumb. So, yeah. I, I didn't know what, I didn't know how to <laughs> like, I wouldn't have, I would have responded poorly cause I would have said something snarky and sarcastic. And then, you know, the media would have disliked me and I would have been, you know, vilified immediately, but he was very respectful and, and patient, but it's one of those things where, you know, the fact that he's doing that already as a rookie, that he's coming to a guy who is very talented and recognizing, recognizing that talent, recognizing gaps in his game and saying, you know, I want to, I need to ask how he's doing this. I need to be in his ear, finding all this stuff out. 
I don't know if Paris Campbell is going to be an amazing receiver. I don't know what his what his capacity to be better is, but I know that he has the the raw skills and talent to be very good. And so then it just you know is you know a little bit opportunity and a little bit um, you know how he actually puts that to work and what he actually does to progress. And it seems like he's doing the right things uh, to grow himself as a player. That's a really encouraging thing. And and Shepard, I al- almost think of him a little bit in terms, and we've made this comparison before, a little bit like T.Y. Because he does have uh, sort of that label as a you know one-trick pony. And hopefully we'll be able to see him develop into more than that as the season goes on. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, T.Y. came in right away, and, and uh, I mean, he was – he acted as a, a number two wide receiver behind Reggie Wayne. So if, uh, if Paris Campbell could have that kind of production, that, I mean, that would nothing short of amaze me. So, um, you know, hopefully we do, hopefully he's uh, he's that kind of guy, but time will tell. Well, and Reich has been, and if you saw his press, uh, there are viewer there when he, you know, got real hyped up when he said that wasn't a gadget play, you know, like he's, He's hearing this stuff and he's taking this to heart and he wants this kid to be a breakout wide receiver. Um, and, and you can see it in some of the things that he's been doing, some of the videos they've been posting, some of the separation that he has got on guys in short space is just insane how fast that dude is. Well, and and the one highlight play that they that they had up was actually of him burning is in a red is in red zone drills. He's essentially almost on the goal line. And he had significant separation from Jalen Collins and Jalen Collins has played pretty well. I mean, now he obviously didn't play well on this snap, but I mean, some of that was just a a decent route. Um, And that's something that wasn't getting credited to him as being a strong point of his game. And so again, all of this stuff, it's, it's very important to take all this stuff with a grain of salt, a very large grain of salt, because there are always training camp heroes that just, continue to impress in camp, but don't necessarily pan out when the real games start. But if you can emulate that same success, once the games roll in, it, it certainly is at least a good sign. It's better than a guy who's not doing anything. It's better, I guess, than it, than if he just is flat and having nothing happen. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's better than them having no impact whatsoever. So at least indicates that there there's a pulse there that there's stuff. But to me, the attitude is as much uh, a significant part of that as anything that he, he's not going to be a guy who isn't asking questions, isn't preparing. He wants to get better and whether or not he has the physical capacity to, we'll find out as games go on. Um, But I think Frank Reich's going to, going to utilize him and put him in opportunities to, to do what he does well. And that's pretty exciting. So, um, that is about all I think we've got here for this episode. We've got undoubtedly more training camp news that will roll in as we go throughout this week. We'll tackle a couple more training camp battles as we get into it. I think we will have probably some good looks at some of the defensive line and see how some of these guys have performed as they're probably getting higher reps with some of these, uh, with some of these starting defensive ends out. We'll probably see couple of these depth guys getting some more roles in rotation there and get a chance to look at some of them. And we'll get a look to after this specifically after this training camp or after this, uh, this game next week against Buffalo, we'll get a chance really to, to dig into the linebackers. I think that'll be an opportunity to look more closely at what's going on there. But really right now, 
the big battles I think are at, are at wide receiver and, and maybe at corner as well um, for some of those, you know, bottom of the, of the position spots. So any, any thoughts, any things that you've seen this week that just jump out of you as kind of like a final uh, thought through this first week of, of training camp, anything that you feel strongly about or any, you know, thing that you just like loved or hated any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I I really hate the fact that uh, it's another training camp that we're we're talking about Andrew Luck being hurt. Injuries uh, suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. You know, Dion Kane yep. is already getting some props too, um, and I hope that continues because <laughs> I really need there to be a segment that makes Shepard have to you know deal with Dion Kane related stuff for the entirety of the season. Um, also, he's he, also, he's a pretty big, see, that's, that's fine. I, don't, <laughs> I also, he's a pretty big guy. So I'd really like, you know, apart from the sort of, the sort of, you know, just general mean spiritedness of myself, I actually think it'd be really exciting to see a guy of his size and stature, uh, you know, across the field from T.Y. Hilton in, in the long term, and maybe, you know, be able to partner with, you know, Paris Campbell and really do, do something down the stretch. And I enjoy that there's the little bit of, of Shepard that wants people to know he doesn't hate Dion Kane, but that I continue to just talk over <laughs> him don't. so that he doesn't have the opportunity to actually voice that opinion. No, I, I don't hate Dion Kane. I, I actually hope Dion Kane makes the team for the exact same reasons you just laid out, but you know, still think he's a long shot. I don't care what, what Chris Ballard said that historically speaking, he has a, an uphill battle to make the team, and I will I will stand behind that until I'm wrong. And then when I am wrong, then I will I will happily admit it. But again, I don't hate Deion Kane. It's nothing personal. Okay, so the lead from that is I don't care what Chris Ballard thinks. <laughs> no, my <laughs> God. Uh, see, this is what you have to be very cautious what you say when you're not the one editing all the audio because I can make this sound like whatever I want to. It's just going to be on repeat every time that we say something. It's just gonna, it's just going to be Shepard saying, "I don't care what Chris Ballard thinks." Yeah, just, thinks. just cut that piece. Just cut that piece of audio out and just just replay it. Yeah, whatever. Yes, we're actually to the point where we're not going to have Shepard actually on the podcast anymore. It's just going to be that cut of audio. You're not going to know, guys, that he's not on anymore. It's just literally going to be cut audio of him saying that over and over again. It's like (laughs) we're going to piece him together from uh, fragments, like they did Jeff on South Park. Yes, it's just all going to be it's all going to be completely (laughs) edited together to just. (laughs) <laughs> to just character assassinate Shepard for no reason at all other than mean-spiritedness oh, on our It part. won't take much. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I think we've we've uh, covered as much as we can. I think we've you know dug into training camp pretty well the first section. We, we'll be back next uh, you know, couple days. We'll be back on Friday to kind of wrap things up, and they'll be actually uh, not practicing on Friday. So they'll be – be another practice under their another couple practices under their belt to kind of talk about and see what uh, new developments have, have come along. And we ought to know, hopefully, um, by that Friday when this will be coming out, maybe we'll have heard something on Andrew Luck. Probably not based on based on how they're they're saying things. I guess maybe we won't have any new updates, but hopefully new information on a couple of these injuries to give you and uh, a chance to talk about some some other camp battles and, and things of that nature. Maybe we'll dig into some of the guys on the lower end of some of the, the rosters and just take a closer look at some of them and uh, and see what there is there. So 
All right, guys, uh, as we've we've talked about this before, I forgot to talk about it at the, at the top of the show, but always appreciate the uh, the comments, the criticisms, uh, the definitely appreciate anybody subscribing, rating and reviewing the podcast. Um, that's very helpful to us. And it and it helps us kind of figure out what we're what we're doing here as we get better and as we kind of grow helps us to kind of, you know, guide our direction and everything. So we really appreciate that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Chris Blystone uh, at NFL scheme and at Jim Campbell 81 and at, check out stampede blue. Good content going up there. It's going to continue to ramp up as the, uh, as the training camp continues, mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of getting geared up for the season and it's stuff a little bit slow, obviously not a lot. I mean, a lot of this is speculation at this point. We're still trying to, to get to a point where we can actually draw real actual conclusions about football and training camp, as we all know, just isn't quite it. It's just right. So close. We can almost taste it. Um, but we are sort of gearing up for the beginning of the season and, and it's getting here. So check us out. Uh, continue to check back there. Good stuff coming. And we will continue to try to bring that content for you. I think that's all we've got for today, guys. We've done as much damage as we can. We will be back in a couple of days. Until then, this is the Colts cast guys signing off. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Axe miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.